live with the best father and son team on the internet. It's time for Homie and the Dude. What is up, everyone? This is Homie and the Dude, the father and son, M-M-A-N-T-T-R-P-G podcast and the home of the best NPCs across the multiverse. Damn right. And damn right. And we are delighted to have Richard Shore with us today. Richard is one of the key, key players across the UK, really representing MMA in the likes of Cage Warriors and the UFC. Richard is the founder and head coach of Shore MMA. And we'll get into all things MMA. He is also the father, head coach, and cornerman of Jack Shore, an up and coming and exciting contender in the UFC's Bantamweight division. Richard. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on, boys. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Uh, you know, we, we, we came in, you know, got to see uh, some of what your gym is uh, capable of. Obviously, we've been watching Jack and whatnot in the UFC, but come and personally see some of, uh, some of what your gym is capable at the most recent Cage Warriors Southwest event. Um, uh, sorry, Wales event, my apologies. Um, it was absolutely amazing to see your guys really go in. They really have a jujitsu like uh, like command, basically, is what we really saw. Is that you guys come from a, a place that is just grappling heavy and really, really strong control of the cage. Um, Tom and I likened it to almost similar to like a, you guys are like the Dagestan of <laughs> uh, of West Europe. <laughs> is that something that rings nice in your ears? Is that something that, that that you're kind of hoping for, or or is that yeah, just something that happened by accident? No, I take that as a compliment. I mean, um, you know, I, I've been in this game a long time now, over you know, over two decades, mm. and um, uh, my brain is constantly evolving, constantly thinking. So, you know, what, one of the key is what I call a blueprint. We've got a blueprint at the gym, um, mm. which is put on for, for for all the fighters. We obviously not one size fits all, but um, the, the main basis behind the grappling was if we go back to the IMAP days and go back to when we had amateurs when we first started out fighting pretty much every three to four weeks the onus was on get in fight finish the fight without picking up any injuries and a grappling heavy approach is the best way for that i think that showed you know even if you go back to 2015 when jack Shaw won the uh, european imas title four fights yeah. in three days and came out from there without so much of a scratch on him where some of the guys that were in, in some of the preliminary rounds were getting beat up because they were getting fist fights getting into you know buying into the crowd being for a stand-up war um but but for me it's, it's it probably comes a little bit from the coaching setup as well you know myself um i'm a Bra brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt i've been grappling for 25 plus years our wrestling coach carl has had a heavy grappling base around his uh around his best uh, wrestling style mm. and i think to be honest it's, it's not something that we plan out for right we're going to be a grappling heavy club mm. it's just worked out that way because i think they've looked at the likes of brett jones the likes of Jack Shaw, and I've seen how much success they've had from that style of fighting. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I think a lot of the youngsters look up to those pay particularly and, and have tried to follow suit. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people as well underestimate how striking because you don't get to see it a lot. But, um, you know, I like to, you know, if you refer back to uh, Jack's fight against in his, in his debut fight in the UFC against um, uh, Nolan Hernandez, you've mm -hmm. seen a lot of his striking there against somebody who was, you know, arguably a world class striker. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but we, we've got some good boxing. You know, we've got a good boxing coach on board. Um, we, we've got a, a you know a world class Thai coach trains at the gym, does one to ones, does classes. Uh, crew Heen. So you know, the striking is there. We're not one trick ponies, but you know, I'm one of these. It's like we look for the easiest route to victory. Uh, and as it stands at the moment, the guys we're coming up against, nine times out of ten, when we analyze um their strengths and weaknesses i tend to feel that our grappling base is stronger than theirs and we always look for the easiest route for victory yeah. sooner or later we're going to come up as you said against one of the dagestani guys <laughs> and maybe that you know and generally maybe that approach will will alter slightly and you'll see a different style to our fight but there's a blueprint there is successful and uh, as the old saying goes lads if it's not broke why try and fix it thanks for watching this episode we really appreciate you supporting homie and the dude Please hit us with the Holy Trinity, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow us on Instagram. Just search at Homie and the Dude. It all really helps. 100%, and I, I fully agree with you. You know, I, 
first of all, I love what you said at the beginning of that, you know, it makes sense in of that it, it, from an injury standpoint and like a, a longevity of career standpoint as well. Often, grapple, I was going to say, yeah, brain cells. Uh, it, it's one of those things where, you know, grappling really can, you know, uh, elongate someone's career. If you're, if you, you know, you look at people like Habib and people like that who have survived so many fights with so little damage, it's because of their grappling heavily, heavy approach. Now, you, you mentioned yourself, you know, big influence in the gym because you, you're, you're, you know, a BJJ black belt yourself. How did you get your start in like, uh, in BJJ? Where, where did you kind of find that passion and love yourself? Cause you know, we don't all, we don't all choose to get in, get, you know, get on, get in a ring and roll with people. Some of us, you know, do, do, you know, making buildings and, you know, pottery and stuff like that. So how, how did you end up choking people out? That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I got to know. Strangling people unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I dabbled with martial arts on and off from a young age as a kid i trained judo for a couple of years but yeah. um ended up playing football up until mm-hmm. my late 20s you know i wasn't the best football in the world but i was a keen footballer played for one of the local teams nice. during that time i was working in a pub and there was um a couple of doormen there one was a black belt in karate one was a black belt in judo mm-hmm. and they were taking three sessions a week up in the function with the pub we were working in so we were going up there doing a bit you know i suppose it was a very early on set of mixing things up. You know, we take a little bit of judo, a little bit of karate. We had a boxing coach there. Not the most refined technique, but, you know, um, it, it toughened us up a set, you know. Um, I'd done this for several years, and in my mind, uh, I think it was probably 20, 29, thinking I could probably handle myself, you know, in a situation. Yeah. And uh, I turned up at the local leisure centre, and they, they had, a, like, a martial arts room on the local It's knocked down, though. This is how many bloody years ago it was. And the... Uh, I was out the back hitting the bag and a, an old school friend came in called Steve Jane, who still trains with me now. He loves me telling this story. This is his, his claim to fame. <laughs> so Steve said to me, I haven't seen him for a couple of years. Oh, are you still training with the boys at the pub? I go, yeah, yeah, still doing a bit. He says, oh, I've been doing a bit of jujitsu. Do you fancy having a, a bit of a grapple? And in my mind, I thought, oh, get, I'll give him more for now. <laughs> it was the most horrendous three minutes of my life. Um, <laughs> how can I put it? When you hear people say they feel like they drown in when they're introduced to proper jujitsu for the first time, I totally get an analogy. I mean, he must have submitted me, and I'm not exaggerating. It was a, we'd done three minutes, and I had to finish. We, we we set the timer for five, and I quit at three minutes because I could not breathe. Um, and I probably got submitted close to ten times in that in that three minutes. I was armbar, I was triangle, I was reinig, and it was mind blowing. Plus, um. When you're not used to that style of fighting, you know, I'm going 100 miles an hour, my lungs were blowing, I couldn't get my breath. Yeah. Um, and it, it, honestly, it totally blew my mind. So I asked where he was training, he'd give me the address, and it was a traditional jiu-jitsu club, yeah. um, but they were under, under Rossi and a Carl from Gloucester who had a mm-hmm. heavy grappling base because he was uh, affiliated with Carlos Gracie. Uh, yeah. Not Carlos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl, um, oh, my God. It was one of the Gracies. I, I, it'll mm-hmm. come to me now. One of the Gracie brothers was up there all the time. Mm-hmm. So... I've turned up at this gym. Steve hasn't turned up. There's probably 20 students there. 14 or 15 are probably under the age of 16. Three or four adults. So I've mm. gone in, introduced myself. He says, uh, yeah, you can join the class, but it's, we're just sparring today. There's no technique. I thought, oh, I'll be fine. I'm looking around the room. I ended up. It's like, yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> kid after kid submitted me. Adults annihilated me. Um, I remember rolling with this skinny pale skin kid who turned out to be Joe Duffy who later fought in the UFC was 14 <laughs> time. Wow. Joe must have triangled me in a, we were doing four minute rounds I always remember the time of going is four minutes and I, he must have triangled me three four times and I, and I just literally got my ass kicked from the minute I went in you know I say this to all my new students now those situations will make or break you as a man or, or as a woman looking to get into martial arts so I've sat in the car, I'm stressed, I'm frustrated. I'm like, what the hell just happened? A bunch of kids have just filled me in for the last 40 minutes. Um, it blew my mind. So you can walk away from that situation. Easiest thing in the world would be to go back to the pub with the bouncers and go back to doing something I was comfortable with and I was holding my own. Or turn back up with the kids the next day and get my ass kicked again. <laughs> and, I cho- and I chose the latter. Uh, and I became fixated, mate. You know, a lot of people mm. say I've got a bit of OCD in the brain with regard to um, fixating on things. Mm. And this this thing just took over my life. Um, I couldn't get enough of it. I was training five days a week. I was traveling to Birmingham to train with Ross. If there was a seminar with Royce Gracie, I would turn up there. If there was a seminar, mm. 
we went, you know, any sort of gracie, I, w- I was making sure I was getting there. If it was a jiu-jitsu guy, you know, over- mm. I just became fixated. So soon, you know, we, we start off, I'm down here and all these guys I'm training with are there because of my, my willingness to learn and training that everywhere. Within about 12, 18 months, I'd reached that plateau and I was, I was on an even keel with them. Um, that's when I had an introduction. That would have been around about 2000, I think. It was year 2000 I took up, you know, the traditional jiu-jitsu. I got into my MMA around about 2001. Yeah. Um, and it was with a team called Falcons Martial Arts. And, and that was my, my introduction. Um, and I trained there for a few years up until 2007 um, when I decided then to go on my own and, and, start, and start my own gym. But, it, you know, it, I see so many guys come through the gym with, all this potential, but they don't they don't last the distance because ego overwhelms you know their, their yeah. ability to come in and, and, and face their demons. But that's what that's what happened to me. And I'm a better man for it, guys. I'm a better man <laughs> so kids me up all them years ago. You know what I love is well, two things. One is uh, we experienced that we have been in that boat of uh, falling out of the boat and drowning in uh, in that first couple classes of of jujitsu. And it is, it, I mean that 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 analogy that analogy is so, is, is so perfect because and you literally feel it's a combination of panic, lack yeah. of breath, and then someone just can manipulating your body in ways that you fully do not understand at that point. You yeah. have no control over the situation, and they are just completely setting traps for you. You you know they're they're opening up for you to, to lunge in a certain way so that they can choke you again, or they can, you know, stretch your arm again or whatever. So we're, we, you know, anyone that's been puked, through that. I puked after the first four jujitsu classes. We went to <laughs> the car park. I was in the car park throwing up because I had never cardio wise been stretched that hard in my life. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, here's the thing I love rich that, that you mentioned. And I, I really saw it on the night that we were there at, uh, at cage warriors, Wales is the humbleness that you have. And this, this is sort of, uh, it is also a cultural thing within jujitsu mostly, let's say, yeah. but once you are, once you have been, you know, dominated through the ranks of jujitsu, your mindset, you know, that whole ego thing, um, starts repositioning itself and to be able to come on as a world-class coach and, a you know, a, a black, belt in in jiu-jitsu and you know jack is is potentially a champion in the ufc and for you to come on and just be humble about the process is uh it, you know it's rare because some people will say well you know they start getting up a little bit into the pedestals of you know i've done this and i've done that and they forget about the journey yeah, and yeah, it's really fun. important as a teacher yeah i'm sure you've you've expressed this story to your students you know countless times they're probably tired of hearing your journey and how um, how that's gone, but I, from our perspective, I really appreciate the humbleness that that you know. 100%, yeah, it, it, it's it's a fantastic experience for life as well. It's it's not just about the martial art. I mean, you know, remaining calm when somebody is trying to put a strangle on you. And um, Joe Rogan once said on a podcast, you know, what 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 is what's the reality of that situation? If this is a real fight situation and somebody's strangling you, it's death. You know, you tap because you're in a controlled environment. But in a real situation, that person could take your life. And, yeah. I, and I think if you if, if you really analyze that, it's such a humbling experience that you can roll around with a 14-year-old kid and that kid could end your life back in, <laughs> back in the year 2000. But, um, you know, I just think it's, it, it builds you as a character. It, build, it builds your character in, in, in other aspects of your life. And I, I just wish everybody, and it hasn't got to be jiu-jitsu, I just think everybody should be into a sport of some sort to, to focus on, on, on a positive Um Jiu-jitsu and MMA, it's an individual, it's an individual sport, right? You know, I'd like to think you guys probably picked up on it when, when you watched the event. I'm I'm a big, I'm bi- you know, I'm big deal on, on it being a team. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's no good the individual training up to the gym and nobody's there. You can't, you can't, you're never going to improve. So, you know, for all the success that Jack has had, all the success with Brett had, you know, Marshman getting into the UFC as the yeah. first Welshman back in 2016. These are not things that these individuals have done. This is this has happened as a team. It's happened from the, their teammates, from the coaching staff, from family being supportive, you know, all these things factor into the success of it. Uh, oh, and yeah. one thing I, I do pride myself on is, as as the team is that whether you're a white belt that's been training with me six weeks or you're the black belt that's been with me for 16 years, mm. you both get the same amount of time off me during that lesson. You know? mm. I've been to clubs in my early days where you'd have your little clicks in the corner would be training and the lower guys would be... And, and I don't think that's healthy. I mean... The white belt that's been with you for two weeks, that could be your next Jack Shaw, your next Brett John. So it's important you give him as much attention and as much detail um, as you would your more experienced guys. But yeah, the, the team aspect is a big one for me. Um, 
I've got a sign up in the gym and it says we fight as individuals, but we pre we prepare as a team. And, uh, wow. you know, a lot of people say it's an individual sport, but it's not. It's, it's a team sport. It, for me, it's the biggest team sport. You don't play as a team, mm. but the preparation is probably 20, 30 guys involved around that one individual before they go out to the jiu-jitsu fight or go out to the MMA fight. So team, team. And I, I see a lot of gyms, as you guys said earlier, where there's egos, there's, well, I'm a black belt. I'm not going to be rolling with that white belt. I roll with everybody. You can visit my gym, and regardless whether you're a white belt, black belt, I'm a 50-year-old old man. I've got no ego. <laughs> I will jump on the mat, and, uh, and we'll have a grapple. You know. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not the case in a lot of places around the UK, Europe, and the world. But um, that's yeah. where I think we've got a lot to say. And I think that's why we, we retain such a, a strong student base. You know, A lot of my guys are long-term guys. Yeah. You know, you'll always have people come and go, but... I've probably got 50, 60 lads that, would be, that have been with me over 10 years. Wow. That's it. And you know what? I think it's one of those things I, I personally, we, we've spoken to, you know, a good few, you know, UFC fighters and coaches and people like that at this point. And I have never heard anyone put it in that kind of, you know, a mindset in that kind of terminology. I know a lot of people like subconsciously. Well, we prepare as a team. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like I know that a lot of people subconsciously kind of operate like that. But just, you know, to hear you kind of put it in words like that and, you know, the fact that you really enforce that at your gym is something that is beautiful. It becomes family. It becomes, you know, more than just uh, more than just a place where people feel, you know, comfortable and, and safe to practice and, and learn new things and fail and, and learn from their failure and things like that. But, you know, it becomes a family, you know, I've, I've competed in many sports that are team sports and you always come away, you know, if you bump into one of those people, even if you separate, go different paths in life, if you bump into them in the street, it's just like family. You stop, you talk, you know, you, there's still that bond because of what you guys did together, what you grew together. And, you know, sparring partners are important. Like you said, grappling partners, all the coaches that are involved. And then not, not to mention nutrition, family as well, you know, partners that are helping, you know, fighters eat well and making sure they're staying on their diets and stuff like that. I would say know? even, even, even you know, kids that are letting their fathers go away for long periods of time and stuff like that, you know, to, to, to go and train, like everyone is part of it. And I know? noticed it. We noticed it also on the night in Wales that as a team, and I, you know, I saw it a couple of times as, as we were walking fighters up to, to give them interviews, there were other fighters at the top of the stairs wanting to see, or at least to, you know, to fist bump with them and to, and to yeah. enjoy their success. Yeah. Um, so we, there, there is an element also, if, if you're in a team you'll know this, um, that there's an energy of, of being part of that team that can start taking over that event where if, you know, you get the first couple guys winning and tapping people or whatever, that energy starts becoming infectious with other guys and the, yeah. not everyone's going to win. hundred percent. I mean, it, it, it creates a momentum, doesn't it? You know, we, we went at, um, we were at meltdown a couple of, couple of months back and we, we finished the night eight wins and one loss. Mm. Um, it should have been nine wins. I the, the decision went against. I never went to, to moan and groan about this, but this was this was as bad a decision I've seen. But the momentum you can just feel as the night progresses, yeah. you know, the confidence spills on, you know, mm. and then it gives us as a coaching team an easier job. You know, I keep saying, well, look, your, your teammates have just gone out there. You're better than the, the guy that's gone out before you, or yeah. you know, or done the same training, the preparation. Um, but a key one for me about um, instilling this team environment as well. You know, you see a lot of a lot of fighters travel around different gyms and I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for a bit of cross training, but it's got to be with people you can trust. So for example, if, if Jack and Brett are, are sparring and Brett mm. locks Jack into a heel hook and Jack's a little bit overzealous and he's trying to roll out and I know Brett's going to let go because he'd rather let go of the submission than injure Jack yeah. in the process. Whereas you can, you can visit. And I've, I've had in my early days, I've had it myself and I've had it with some of the guys I train with. You'd visit a gym and that red target, you know, the bullseye is on your back as you walk through the door. Um, and if somebody locks on a heel hook, they want to finish you. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's a, I'm very fortunate. It's easy for me to say I've, I've got a big team of MMA and I've got a massive team of mm. jiu-jitsu guys. But I think it's important that trust when, if you're going to roll with somebody, you should be going out there with a 100% intention of submitting them or finishing them. But at the same time, looking after them, you know, uh, because if that guy is injured for the next six weeks, that impacts you and your camp. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that we've got that trust aspect in the gym. I, we weed out the, the the idiots, if I'm honest. They don't last long if, if you're coming in with the wrong attitude. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. keeping the longevity and, and keeping the guys injury-free during camp as well. Yeah, you mentioned um, 
this element of when you're in the corner and things are going well, and uh, it can make your job a little bit easier. I was just thinking, because I, I was a professional basketball coach, and I also coached Bodie for a lot of his basketball career as well. But I know that when I'm coaching, there's an element of trying to separate your emotions so that you can be clear, you can calm mind and have the tactics, the right tactics at the right time during a timeout, which is the equivalent of in between rounds. Yeah. But also, it was hardest to do that when I was coaching him. Because yeah. I had a little bit more of, you know, you, you, you had a little bit more of a, at stake, right? A little bit more blood in the game, legitimately, right? So yeah. the question is, for you, um, it was always a struggle for me to compartmentalize those things. And I'm wondering with you, when you step into the cage, and now, you know, big lights in the UFC, the TVs, the pay-per-views, all this other stuff, and you've got Jack that you're cornering, how difficult is it? For to you to, to separate those emotions to, and maybe yeah. what is the most important thing for you um, in those moments? Is it tactics? Is it emotions? Is it to hype him up? Is it to calm him down? Is it to, you know, what, what are you thinking about objectively as a coach during those times? And then how is that working when you are coaching your son? It's, it's the bill. It's fight. Fight week is the worst one for me. I mean, the, the camp is straightforward. He's part yeah. of the team. Um, when, when we're in the gym, he's treated no different to the other guys, you know, we work on the, the tactics, we work on the technique, we make sure he's fit, we make sure he's ready. Fight week then, I become a bit nervous. And, and like I said, I've got a big team of fighters and I don't feel this with anyone else other than Jack, you know. Um, yeah. There's a fantastic doc documentary called Mr. Calzaghi. I don't know if you guys have watched it. It's about Joe Calzaghi and his yeah. father and their relationship. And uh, there was a psychiatrist on there and the psychiatrist was explaining the dynamic between a father and son coach in a combat sport. And... Um, how he brought it down, and, and it's lived with me since I watched it, is, is very unnatural. A father's instinct is to protect his son. Yeah. You know, for me to stand there and allow him to go out to battle into a fist fight, mm. it goes against every instinct in your body as a father. To try and separate that as a, as a coach is it's a difficult task. You know, the, the lads will take because they take the mickey out of me awful. Um, <laughs> on the day of the fight, I'm dry reaching. You know, the hour before I start dry reaching, I'd be, I'm becoming a little bit. Um, pacey, you know, like a few my strength. Fortunately for me, I've built a fantastic coaching team around me. So, like on the night, um, Carl Parker takes a lot of that stress away from me. Gary Lockett, he'll take that stress away. Uh, Crew Heem, if he's with, they'll take a little bit more. As for getting Jack up or, you know, ready for the fight, doesn't have to. He's a consummate pro, you know, he knows the work's being done. He's very calm. He's not one of these screaming, you know, I've got some guys that are screaming and shouting in the change room. Jack's one of these. We've got a uh, a set plan for the warm-up. We do the same thing. We've done it for 27 of his fights. It's a rigid plan. It works. We don't we don't change it. I'm awful. I'm, I'm close to tears when we're walking out. I can mm -hmm. feel my own water. But the minute I sit down in that corner, I don't know whether it's a subconscious thing. It's like, boom, it's on. Mm -hmm. And I can focus. And for that 15 or 25 minutes when he was on the world title fights for USC, I, I'm, I, I seem to hit this, like, uh, this moment where... Nothing else matters. I'm just fixating on him. And my entire job for the next 20 minutes is to give him direction, mm. coaching instructions to make sure he gets through that fight mm. victorious and without any injury. Once it's over, people say, how do you feel? You know, I'm proud and I'm, and I'm over the moon and I'm happy. But there's, there's a huge sense of relief that it's over as well. You know, mm. I don't enjoy it probably until 24 hours later when I've leveled off a little bit and yeah. I can celebrate with the family and all the rest of it with his victory. Yeah. But it is difficult to, to distance the father-coach role. It, it, yeah. uh, but like I said, I've got a good coaching team around me. The only time it impacts, like I said, is fight week, I'm getting better. As, we, as we've gone on, it's become a little bit more than norm. But probably, I, I dislike weigh-in day. I don't like seeing him on weigh-in day. But, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's one of those things that we can't avoid. You know, he's, he's got to yeah. make weight. Yeah. Once the weigh-in's out of the way, I feel much better. Then I'm nervous for a few hours on fight day beforehand. Um, and like I said, I'm still guilty of dry reaching and, and allowing that anxiety to, yeah. to build up a little bit too much. If I'm honest, I think I've probably got better since he's got into the UFC because I mm. think like his lifelong dream was to become a successful UFC fighter. I think the pressure came off a little bit once he'd signed that contract. Yeah. Um, and even more so after he'd had his first win, probably. But yeah, yeah distance that father and, and coach, it, it is difficult. But it was a period, he'll tell you this, uh, when he was early on in his pro career, I said, maybe we need to look at you possibly going to a, a, 
a high end gym elsewhere and mm. maybe just take that take that relation do a bit of training but allow it and he's like no nah, this is what we've always done and if, if you walk I walk so he's probably in a bit of a predicament really. so I, I'm stuck with him till he retires well you know this this sounds very familiar we, we spoke to Mike Grundy and he's his son's actually Jack as well and he's an up-and-coming uh, mixed martial artist and he, he you know very similar conversation that we're having and and I've I've really really can, can relate to both of those yeah. things. Not, not necessarily in the corner with combat sports, but certainly Bodhi's had his career in combat sports and also other, other sports as well. So I, it, it's a deep, it's a really deep feeling that uh, is tough to even put into words. Um, yeah. But one thing, one thing Grundy said is he has been able to, outside of MMA, really sort of compartmentalize. In the gym, um, he's coach to Jack. Uh, outside of the gym, he's dad. And there's, the, and, and that's hard to do as well, because, you know, that level, that spectrum of discipline, if you see one day that, you know, your kid's a little bit softer, they're not where they should be, or they're, they're slipping a little bit or whatever, you have an inclination to say, you know, let's go, let's, and, and that can start compromising the father son, yeah. you know, relationship yeah. at home. How have you been, or has that been an issue at all? It seems like Jack no, is very, very focused. I, I've been very fortunate with Jack's mindset. I mean, he, He's bulletproof, to be honest. Um, yeah. You know, once we're that 10 weeks out, you know, he trains twice a day, five days a week when he's not going to fight coming up. But yeah. once we have that day and we're 10, week, 10, 11 weeks out, I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to be checking up on him for his diet. I'm going to be checking up. Is he, you know, he's the first person in the gym every morning. He's down here running quarter to seven every morning. Yeah. Um, so even when he, he's live, he lives on his own, you know, with his girlfriend, he's got his own house. But even when he was home, the gym and the MMA was was one area, but when we were home, and he'll tell you this now, you know, if, if we have a family, we, we never talk fighting. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's it's father and son time then. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we had discussions, don't get me wrong, if we're in the house, or we'll come down and we'll watch, you know, we'll analyse a fighter, but, you know, it tends to be, in, in the gym is one role, um, but, yeah. but I, I very, very rarely, you know, I... Touch wood, I don't think we've ever had a falling out, you know, since he started this journey, you know, when he was 15. Yeah. I don't think we've had an argument across word about, about his training. Mm. I, I, like people used to say to me, oh, you, you know, you must be the pushy father. You've got, I've never once asked Jack to train, even when he was a kid, you know, when he started kickboxing at six. Mm. If he didn't want to go training, he didn't go training. Never once mm. would I go, yes, you bloody are. But I never had that situation because, he, you know, he was training at, at probably around 13 years of age onwards, he was probably doing five days a week anyway mm. um, because he fell in love with the sport. But um, no, we, we, we do keep it separate. And I think that's why our relationship is so healthy and, and continues to be. Yeah. Do you know, I think it's just a really beautiful thing to hear. And, um, you know, your, your dynamic sounds really, really strong. It's why I imagine, you know, your communication during those like breaks in between rounds is so good. I want to ask, do you guys have like a system for when you get into the cage with Jack? Or is it like, cool, I'm going to give a little bit of like grappling advice and then we're going to pass over to, you know, so like, do you have a system or is it just like, cool, whatever people saw, let's just get it in there and, and, and move through. There's one voice, it's my voice. There's one voice in the corner. Yeah. But the other two coaches will feed to me and I feed to Jack. So Jack is not getting confused and it's been that way. So it's, it's quite robust. When he fought in the IMAS, one of the um, commissioners came up to me at the end of the tournament and he'd mm. been the commissioner for each of the fights. And he said, oh, I've been involved in martial arts, you know, a long, long time. And he said, that's the most complete coaching fighter mm. setup I've ever seen. He said it was like as if you had him on a remote control, you know, on a computer game. Yeah. Every instruction you give, you follow to the letter of the law. And I think it's just, it's always been, I think he's got 100% trust. If I'm mm. barking at him from outside, put your left hand down, move your right knee, mm. hit this position. He knows that 99 times out of 100 is because I can see see yeah. the next level to, to progressing in that fight. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it's always a case of, it's my voice. If Carl's got input, you just, and, and it's a simple thing that we just were, he'll touch me, he'll lean over, talk to me, I'll pass that, that information on. Yeah, and I never question if if any of the coaches gave me uh, advice. It's never a debate in the corner. We're all specialists in different areas, and and, and I passed that on. 
yeah that's awesome that's awesome again humbleness from from yourself of, of like like you said specialists in different areas going, what were you and you also about? i mean this is probably a point where you are quite interested in when you see corner work and seeing how corners are worked because there is different philosophies right you wow. see corners and that's also fighter by fighter some fighters yeah. need a, need a kick in the ass some fighters need to be calmed down you see some that teddy atlas screaming at his fighter yeah kind of thing i mean know, and it's it's, it all, is, it's all very different depending on your fighter isn't it totally and so um, but the one thing, certainly as, as my experience as a coach is, you know, in those hot moments, um, it is important to keep it as simple as possible, really, you know, the language that they know precise and not too much, um, because they're only going to take probably the last thing that you said, or maybe one or two things that you said, and then they're going to go in and that'll be on their mind. But any more than that, you load them down with any emotion. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes I have a bit of confidence in the fight that you know, that there's, there's periods during that round you shouldn't have to say anything because everything's going yeah. on the plan. Another key one is being honest. I mean, at the end of the round, you know, there's no bull, bull with us. If, if you've lost a round, we'll be the first time. You've lost that round, you need to move now. Um, yeah. We've gone into fights where I know we're two rounds and I'm saying, you're going to lose this fight, we need to finish. I'd rather you yeah. get stopped looking for the finish than, than just get ground up because, you know, you're accepting yeah. the loss a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I, I see some of the cornering, you know, and, and it's chaotic. You know, you've got three voices screaming all at the same time and, People shouting stuff sometimes. I think sometimes, unfortunately, the, the coaches will get to the biggest stage and they want to make it a little bit about them. Look how informative I am. Mm. Look how knowledgeable I am. And, and, and they're screaming and shouting for the sake of it, you know. Yeah. There's a time to talk and there's a time to, to sit back and, uh, and just watch yeah. um, uh, and analyse. And I think probably, you know, <laughs> my favourite one is breathe, 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 you know. <laughs> If you're having to tell a fighter to breathe, there's something wrong, you know. <laughs> the, the, the only time I ask a fighter to breathe is when they come in in between the corner and it's just our first instinct of slow your breathing down. Let's get mm. our right first before we have a conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, we were at one event at Cage Warriors and uh, the guy was cornering. And I think for five minutes, he just shouted, breathe, breathe, breathe. <laughs> like, we, we're all like, what is he on about, you know? But yeah, uh, yeah. And again, I suppose that comes with experience, you know. It, it's all well and good me sitting here having a, having a laugh and joke, but it's probably a, quite a few thoughts in my coaching back in, in the early days when I, you know, we, we make mistakes and we learn on the way, don't we? Do you know what? I wanted to ask you, obviously, you know, you've got a lot. When we saw you guys at uh, Cage Warriors Wales, um, you, you had a lot of uh, younger fighters who are up-and-comers who are, you know, breaking through. Um do you find when coaching like younger people, like is, is there any more difficulty with, you know, cornering them and coaching them? Or do you find again, similar to Jack, a lot of these people are just so focused on their passion and their dream that it's pretty easy. Or do you find that some of them, you know, you, teenagers, you know, you know, you know how teenagers can be, you know, <laughs> yeah, so you I mean, any of that? yeah, I guess frustrating sometimes, but Again, as I've become more experienced, you know, I used to get really frustrated. Some, but now I take it all as you know, a nineteen-year-old kid sometimes is not going to listen to every instruction like your Brett Johns, your Josh Reed, or your Jack Shaw. You know, yeah. So it, it's a case of then we just address in the gym and talk to them. You know, we never there's, there's never no tellings off over it. It's just mm. about um, educating them. And you know, what I always say to the guys is watch Jack, watch Brett, watch how they perform under the lights, watch how they listen to instructions. Um, we had a couple of conversations after the Age Warriors event where, you know, where boys hadn't listened to instructions given. We'll mm. analyse it, we'll run through it in the gym, we'll address the technique that they messed up on, but also to speak to them, you've got to start listening and having faith in the coaches. If the most high-profile fighters in the, the gym are willing to listen and, and follow instructions, you guys have got to do that if you want to reach that level. But yeah, it, it can be a bit frustrating, but I, I don't take it to heart. It is, you know, we are where we are. Unfortunately, yeah, I've got a, a good bunch of lads and because of the role models they've got in the gym and because they've been around this since a very young age, like a lot of my guys are coming up through, they were kids when they joined me, you know, um, yeah. they used to, they used to the blueprint that, that, that we've got in place as such. Yeah. You know, it, it's an interesting point because you mentioned Jack and there's an, there's an element of his DNA that is almost like championship pedigree, very focused, very determined, um, calm, knows, knows the objective. But I also think there's a gym DNA, right? There's a culture, right? And some of your fighters may have some of that, some may not, but eventually that starts seeping in to the fight. The culture of the gym starts seeping in. And we saw that. So there's a couple of your fighters that really stood out to me that night. I was really, really impressed 
with just a determination, the dogged determination of Levi Batchelor that night. He, you know, he didn't have necessarily a, you know, a knockout for the ages, but the way he just kept glued to his guy that night, you could tell it was a strategy and that was his path to victory. And he just stuck to it in a way that's very rare to see at that age. And so I talked to him in the interview about it as well. And um, he, he said, look, this is, you know, this is kind of what we do. Uh, this is how we do things. And I thought it was a little bit of both. I thought that is Levi, but it's also a representation of your gym. Yeah, and I mean, it helps Levi. You know, he's, always, he's, one, he's one of Jack's and Brett's and Josh Reed's main sparring partners. So he's around these guys 24-7. He, he's a sponge. The kid, the kid is, he's got the world at his feet. He can be as good as he wants to be, Levi. He's... Um, very quiet. He, he's for me. He's, he's the model fighter. He turns up. There's no messing around. You know, mm. uh, trains as hard as anybody. Disciplined. You know, he's he's doing his boxing down with with, with Gary Lockett. He's um, doing strength and conditioning on top of all the work that we are doing under our roof. So again, when you're around Brett and when you're around Jack and you see the success these guys had, the way they carry themselves. Um, and a key thing that we deliver as coaches is about being disciplined. You know, if, mm. if, if have faith in your coaches, have faith in the, the strategy we put in place. But discipline is key. And, and, and to be fair to Levi, he's disciplined in every aspect of his life. Disciplined in his diet and his willingness to come and work hard every day. You know, his willingness to not be going out with his group of friends that he's probably grown up with, uh, yeah. out drinking and partying on the weekends. So, you know, with as it says, with great sacrifice comes great reward. Mm. With, with Levi, um, he, he's, you know, I, I was going to say he's a model professional. He's an amateur, but he's a model professional with regard to his profession. Um, and, I, you know, I've got high hopes for him. Uh, that was a tough fight on the night for him. That lad was, a, was a tough, strong, physical guy, um, McGowan from Scotland. And uh, I just thought he, he, he delivered. I, I was really pleased. One of the standout performances for me was, was Lee. And he took a nasty cut, mind, and he wasn't phased. And, and again, that comes from what he's lacking in experience in fights because COVID knocked him back. You know, he lost two years as an amateur of competing. Mm, yeah. Um, that comes with the experience of doing round after round, week in, week out with Jack, Brett, Josh Reed, mm. uh, and those guys that are fighting at the higher level at his weight group, you know? Yeah, and, absolutely. And you could see it. You could see, you could just see, like, like you said, it was a level of calm and a level of fight IQ. I think that was, that was yeah, very it, impressive. That's a good show, but his, his IQ was excellent. Uh, and that's yeah. because, He's constantly watching, you know. He's constantly yeah. asking questions. Um, I guarantee you, after every session, Levi will pick Jack or Brett's brains and they'll stay behind for five minutes and, and just go over something. Yeah. Not a lot of fighters do that. A lot of them are tired. They can't wait to get off the mat. Yeah. Levi's always looking to improve in every area. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. A couple other shout-outs for, for, from our perspective, or certainly from my perspective. So I, I interviewed a couple that I thought were exceptional. I thought um, Jack... Beasley was was great on the night. <clears throat> Stephanie yeah. had a good night as well. Yeah. Um, and then you know the guy that actually I was I was in the loo uh, right before the whole thing started, and uh, someone came up to me and said, uh, "Have you been to one of these before?" And I said, "No." He's like, "Well, you you, you want to have a lookout for Yon uh, Thomas?" And he's like, "He's the one." And I said, "Okay, well let's let's you know let's have a look." And so we saw aspects during his during his fight of you know little pockets of what people were talking about for sure. And it's that lightning in a bottle. Yeah. You know, he's been very, very well-rounded with his, you know, takedowns and his grappling, his striking seemed to be pretty, pretty well, well-rounded as well. Tell me about, and I know you get asked about uh, many of your young fighters. Um, what makes him so special? What makes Eon uh, so special or some of the others? It's, um, it's terrifying. He's a year 11 school kid. You know, he's got, he's still in school until, till end of May. Yeah, you know, um, he's seventy-seven kilograms now. He's like five eleven. I, I, I think he's probably going to finish off six foot, six foot one. I think he'd probably be welterweight, middleweight. Uh, you know, yeah. a professional, mm. maybe even like heavyweight, because his father's a big lad as well. So it's a different one to gauge because from sixteen to nineteen, you see some of the body changes yeah. and the heights, you know, and the growth spurts. Again. When you're dealing with him in the gym, you would think you were dealing with a top-class pro. He's been training with a pro team since he's 14. Um, we had a wrestling session yesterday. Thursday night is our toughest session of the week. Uh, the lads will all tell you that. It's a horror show for 60 minutes. Very rarely does Johan at 16 get taken down. Wow. Very rarely. If you do take him down, 
keeping him there is another job again, right? Yeah. So don't get me wrong, as you've seen in this fight, um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, is it Joe? Who did he fight on the? Um, um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I can go find out. He's a good fight. He's, he won yeah. the rage a couple of weeks earlier. Mm. Um, and he's from he's from a really good gym. You know, I got a lot of respect for Mark Wheel, runs the Gloucester Range Fighters. You know, he's one of the, the original pioneers in the UFC for Britain. So you know, they're coming from a good pedigree. But I'm, I think he, he tired a little bit because of the man strength was making a difference in round three. Yeah. Yeah. And I keep saying to everybody, keep remembering he's sixteen. Well, you know, he's just turned sixteen. He's still a school kid. Yeah. I honestly believe um, that he'll be the youngest Cage Warriors champion of all time. Wow. Hmm. And I think he will be the best fighter Wales has ever produced. Wow. 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 And I, and I, don't, say, and I don't say those things like, he very no, rare, no. I will hmm. go out and make a prediction. But I yeah. am that confident that, like, you know, I've had some really talented kids at 16, and then women come, drink comes, drugs come, partying comes. I think this lad has got a mind which is absolutely bulletproof. We have been hammering him since he's 14 years of age. Mm. Verbally, banter, physically, we have tried to, we've tried to break that kid since he was 14, and he is unbreakable. Nothing will mm. break that boy. Whereas 14 and 15, you would play with him a little bit. Now, he walks into the pro training room, and he is treated as if he was a 26-year-old Cage Warriors veteran. There's wow. no, he's that good. He's that good. And any of the pro fighters will tell you that. Um, I'm just so excited to see where we are in four or five years with him. I was going to say, it's one of those things you've got, you've really, like with younger lads, especially, especially that like their growth spurts are about to hit, you know, they're about to hit, you know, that big step in puberty where they, you know, get that man strength, mm. you know, they get all the, all, 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 all the, all the power that they need basically yeah. to back up the technique that they've been learning comes. So, you know, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting journey to see where, where Eon ends up in the next couple of years. And especially we're, we're really excited to see him uh, see that journey as well. Like massively. Uh, a question for you. Cause you, I don't know, you, you probably won't remember this, but when you were passing him over to, to go up for his uh, post fight interview, you said to him, make sure you have pointing to me, Tom, uh, ask you about your, uh, your walk-in song. And yeah. so, uh, his walk-in song was lose yourself by Eminem. So talk yeah. a little bit about, uh, well, he, he hadn't said that. I mean, we were waiting to go out and then, um, the music kicks in and that's what I walked out to every fight I ever had. And he's yeah. turned around and goes, this one's for you, boss. He gives me a little cheeky wink. <laughs> and uh, I just thought to myself, it was a nice touch on his part. And he says to me after, he goes, I'm going to walk out of that every, every time to, just to show my respect to you. And that's what I mean about the kid. He's, he's humble. Um, his fight IQ is brilliant. And, you know, get, he got overwhelmed a little bit in the third round. And I think that kind of strength, he was tired. But if, you, if, if, you, if that was a two-round fight, we would all be saying, Jesus Christ, what, what have we got on our hands? Yeah. You know? Um, and as he gets older, he gets more experienced. Um, as he gets develops, uh, as Bode said, that man strength, um, yeah. he's going to become terrifying. But I just, just love the kid. I do honestly. He's been with me now quite a few years since he was. There was an interview. We were at the old gym. So he taught him probably five years ago. I think it was when um, it was either doing Marshman in the UFC or Jack on the brink. I can't remember. I think it might have been Marshman. And the ITV Wales came up and done some interviews with us. And, uh, and and they interviewed him, you know, and uh, just watching how awkward and shy he was <laughs> on this camera. Um, and I said to the guy there, and I said, remember this kid's name? He's about 13 then. I said, he's going to he's gonna be doing big things. He did, he did well on the night with his interview with us. So that was, that was exceedingly well-spoken. They were exceedingly well-spoken. His old man has trained with me from the very beginning and he's like a proper old school adnet, his old man. So, You'll never get a little bit too big for his boots because his old man will always be able to fill him in in the street. Fight, like <laughs> well, so he, he he chose that song because of, uh, you know, sort respect, of a, a, yeah. a tip of the hat to you and respect to you. But you chose that song. I mean, you know, we, we, we connect with certain songs, whether it's the lyrics or the, the, the actual musical part of it. But it's, you know, Lose Yourself has an element of, you know, getting into that flow state or, 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 or kind of dropping all of the, the other stuff and just being there. Well, tell me, what, what was the reason that you, you selected it? I, I chose that because the lyrics, because it said, your palms are sweaty, knees, weak arms are heavy. And that's exactly how I used to feel before mm. every competitive bout. And I just thought it, it was, because I was never, I was never a natural fight. You know, I, I've got lads in my gym that have been fighting since they were kids. You know, I, you can count on one hand how many street fights I've had. You know, it's, yeah. it's minimal. Um, but I was never a natural fight. I was a nervous kid growing up. Um, yeah. 
you know, a lot of my fr- my family and close friends will say we never at 14, 15 years of age would have anticipated he would have gone on to have the, the career that he did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it just used to, you know, I used to turn up for these fights and like the, the town would turn up and watch it and have a big following. And I think half of them would turn up and say, let's have a look at this soft kid. Now he's going to jump in a cage and have a scrap. Do you know what I mean? Get his head kicked in. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was just the lyrics to it and the the way the, the song built as well. And, and the crowd back in the day used to used to really react to it, you know. So that's, mm. that was a reason I drove But mainly for the lyrics. Like I said, my, if they'd have ever looked down, my knees were tapping together. With, with <laughs> so... Let, let, let me ask, you know, you're talking about, you know, being a little bit nervous. For, where does the nickname Shaky come from? Is that related to that? In any <laughs> sort of way? How, how, how is that kind of related in the, in this situation? Right. I'll, I'll give it, I'll, I'll tell this story because it stops people asking me then, hopefully. It's a very <laughs> anticlimactic story. When I was 15, I was working uh, in a local pub. I come from a, a tough old background and I ended up asking one of the local businessmen for a job. So he gave me a job collecting glasses. I used to get paid six quid a night. So I'd collect the glasses in the pub, wash them and restack the shelves. Yeah. And one day, one of the barmen didn't turn up. So the boss has said to me, you're going to have to serve behind the bar. It was a big deal, but I was 15. I was like, I can't go behind the bar. You know? Yeah. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. So some guy has asked me for a pint. And you imagine the old school bar where they're all sat on the, the bar stools, the regulars. Yeah. And so I'm like pouring this pint and my nerves have got the better. And I'm literally shaking. So one of the regulars has gone, for F6, he stopped shaking him, spilling my pint. So once I finished serving him, one of the other regulars has gone, Oi, shaky, I'll have a pint of spider. So that, this was going on for was about Yeah, this was going on for about an hour now. It was like um just the regulars going, Oi, shaky, check, check this pint of beer. <laughs> well then Abbott Lady Youth rugby team have come in, and a few of them lads were a little bit older than me, 17, 16, but I knew most of them. Well, they've all come to the bar, about 20 of them. These older guys are shouting, shake, you'll have a pint of cider, shake, you'll have a pint. <laughs> Next, you know, all the, the rugby boys are stuck. And it just, it just spiralled me. <laughs> to, fast, to fast forward 15 years, I owned a pub. And I was, in the, I was in the pub and the phone rang and one of the regulars has picked the phone up and gone, hang on a minute, look around the room. Nah, I don't think he's here, mate. And let's put the phone down. I said, who are they looking for? He said, someone called Richard. I said, hey, Richard. He said, I thought your name was Shaky. If you came second, I think people thought I was, I was actually named at a birth, but no, that, that's the reason behind the nickname Shaky. It just escalated from me. <laughs> that's, that's bloody brilliant. I love that. I absolutely love that. That's incredible. <laughs> That's, that's a classic that's a classic UK like like nickname story right there you don't get that kind of nickname like in that kind of way in any other country I, I, I love that I love that that moment if that moment goes away you never have that nickname right so exactly. <laughs> yeah uh, so I saw, I saw another podcast you're on and you talked about consistency and you talked about that you're a bit of a control freak and you mentioned that you at the beginning of this podcast that you have an element of OCD. I have an element of OCD as well. This perfectionist, you know, I, I, I am a stickler for, and I'll go back at it and go back at it. And people would say, you got to fucking let it go, Tom, let it go, but I'll, I will never let it go. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of my style. And it seems like it's kind of your style as well. Um, but when you look across the piece, one of the other things I used to do as a coach is scout other coaches and other systems and take as much as I could to make myself a better coach. When you look across the world, really, you know, you look at TriStar with, um, for us, for us, Zahabi, you look at city kickboxing with Eugene Berriman and his striking. Um, you look at, uh, ATT does it a different way. They, they have a, a lot of competition, a lot of pros come in there and they mix it up a different way. What, when you, when you have your study hat on, what things are you looking for and who do you admire out there? What things do you say, you know what, they're doing something that's quite special? I look for the coaches that, that have brought these fighters through. Mm. You know, you've got your big teams, your Alpha Males, your mm. Jackson Wink, um, a.k.a. probably to some extent. Now, where fighters become established and then move, move to these gyms. Yeah. Um, if I was to pick, I think probably, you know, John Kavanagh over at SBG brought all the Irish guys back you know, back a few years ago, all through the process of all, all starting at this gym and finishing their careers at the gym. Yeah. Uh, and that was what I wanted, you know. Yeah. If I was looking at coaching uh, and looking for um, uh, a blueprint, mm. I'll be honest with you, the blueprint came from from a football analogy, from um, when Alex Ferguson took over Manchester United. Yeah. And if you, if you imagine Manchester United at the time were probably where Alpha Mela, where 
players would want to come. And and the first thing Ferguson addressed when he got there was the youth setup, the scouting setup about yeah. let's get longevity. And the one thing I do really pride myself with is um, 99% of the fighters that have come through Shaw MMA or Tulane Combat, as it were, before we, we rebranded, have come to me from day one. Like Marshman joined me with no martial arts experience and I got into the UFC. Wow. Jack jumped to me with no martial arts experience. He's got the UFC. Mm. Brett's obviously joined me after having a successful career over at Chris Reese Academy. Um, Josh Reed came to me early stages of his career. You know, if, if you look at these lads, your Yohan Thomases, your King Darcy's, your Jack Beasley's, you know, they, they've all come to me as young kids and are, are developing. And, I, and I, I think that was one of the things that I thought was going to be key was ensuring we had um, a factory line of kids coming through all the time. Because mm-hmm. this is a short-lived career. I mean, Jack could have his next fight, pick up an injury and never fight again. Brett could have a fight, pick up an injury. You know, you can't throw all your eggs into one basket. It's important yeah. that you're looking down that factory line and once Jack comes to his end of his career, your Johan Thomases, your Jack Beasies, your King Darcy's, your, your Scott Pedersons, they are coming through. Um, mm-hmm. Once they've gone through, i got a team of kids coming through now, which hopefully will start training with the, the pro and amateur MMA team in a year or two. So yeah. that was one thing I looked at. I, I I, I enjoy podcasts or so I listen to like, um, uh, oh, crikey, there's, what's it called? I'm terrible for bloody names. There's a, there's a, a podcast out there where they interview all the top coaches. Um, mm. uh, what's it, the, about, it's not Tim Ferriss, is it? The, the guy that does all the great sort of uh, people. Not, that every, not everyone on it. Anybody that's been an elite coach or elite sportsman, yeah. he has them on. And I, I I I enjoy listening to those. Just listening for um, and I I make notes on my phone, you know, about little phrases yeah. and yeah. about how they address things. Because it's not necessarily got to be from like people ask me who's his favorite sportsman of all time. My favorite sportsman of all time is Roy Keane. Mm. And people expect me to say uh, GSP. Like if if he was asking me MMA fight, it would be GSP and Khabib. Yeah. But actual, if I had a single one out that if I could spend a day with and pick his brains and have a conversation and have him talk to my team it would be Roy Keane because probably Roy Keane was not necessarily the most flamboyant player in the world. He was not necessarily the most gifted player in the world. But his mindset and his attitude towards work and his attitude towards improving is probably up there and above anybody else that's ever walked the planet. Mm. You know? Um, mm. Disciplined, very rigid in his beliefs. I'm, I'm, I'm keen on that. You've got to believe, you've got to achieve and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, I, I tend to look everywhere. There's no one really that I, I really... Uh, coach... Um, Javier from, from AK is probably one of my favorites. Yeah. I think he's done a great job and he's he's been churning them out for years and years. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. I'd fully agree with that. I mean, you know, Far- Faraz has got a brilliant brain, but again, at the same time, TriStar through GSP have attracted fighters. Yeah. You know, I like to think that when you join us, you're joining us for the long haul. You, you, you should have in your brain that everything's under one roof here and we can be as successful as we need to be without having to... To move to a Canada or move to to, to the US, uh, yeah. and also the Australian guys, the New Zealand guys, like you said, um, uh, city kickboxing, kick, city kickboxing. A lot of time for those guys because I think they they are probably very very similar mm. to what we were. You know, a yeah. grassroots team that had developed some world class fighters. SVG, you know, for a period of time were really really successful. They were they were producing the fighters. Um, so yeah, those, those, and I, t- I tell you another gym coming through the ranks that you know. They go in the read action. It's Paul Rimmer and Next Generation up in Liverpool, you know. Yeah. You've had your Chris Fishgolds, um, uh, Molly McCanns, uh, yeah. Paddy's just signed. Paddy's there, yeah. You, take, you know, take, take those three guys from, from the mix. They've got a really strong bunch of guys in Cage Warriors. And if we look at the Amateur Circuits up in the north, you know, Paul's cleaning up on the Amateur Circuit. So, you know, they, they're a team as well that I look at. And we've got a good relationship with those guys. We're going to try and get some training in this year with each other. Oh, nice. Amazing. That's, nice. Awesome. That's super awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Well, you know, I, I, I was going to say that Wales, you know, if, if we looked at the map, a map of MMA and the hot spots are sort of glowing red, you know, you have certain hot spots. We, we talked about Dagestan being a hot spot America. and, you know, different spots in America Georgia. that are hot spots, uh, possibly other parts of Russia that are hot spots as well. Japan, yeah. I came away from our event and also tracking you for a little bit previous to that, convinced now that Wales, that, that red light is starting to flicker in, in yeah. Wales. And I don't know how many people, see, the thing is, Michael Bisving 
to the world is saying, look, you guys got to fucking look at whales. Like this yeah, thing is yeah. up and coming. The tidal wave is coming. You know, he's, he's, he's comparing Jack to GSP. He's not, he's not compared anyone else to GSP and in, in all yeah. of his, in his interviewing, it's coming. We see it. And um, it's a credit to you and to this philosophy. And it is, it is a philosophy that others have mm-hmm. of building a system from the ground up. It's a pipeline. It's a culture. It's, you know, it, one person is up when that person has seen the rest of their career come to an end next person steps up and we have yeah. that and it's it's sustainable and it's a legacy that you know that you can be proud of and that's that really stems from you richard so um from us for, as as fans as as you know we're pretty astute as far as what we see there's something special happening in wales right now especially as uk fans as well you know yeah yeah it's, it's a strong scene to be fair and it's not just our gym you know you, you, you've got some good gyms out there as you've seen on the night you know there's yeah. there's um a small pocket of gyms, you know, Swansea, Abitleri, Cardiff, you know, mm. they, they're all producing good fights. And, and I say this to everybody, lads, it, there's, there's no such thing that uh, people say, who's the best coach in the world or the best team? And I don't think there is. I don't think we're single out. There's a best coach and a best team for you. So yeah. you might have like a really talented guy comes to our gym, but the style of coaching and the way we do things maybe doesn't fit that. that and, and there's nothing wrong with that. You'll, you'll mm. find a a better suited coach and a better suited team that suit your needs and will develop you better as a fighter, you know, but I just think for 90% of people, probably we've got a blueprint, which somewhere along the line will, will fit in with everyone. But uh, yeah, it's a good, you know, some, some good fight. You know, you know, look at the higher level. Now we got, you got Liu Long. He's in the uh, Bellator, you know, he's doing really well there. You've got yeah, Mason. Mason, Mason Jones in the UFC. Um, Gage Warrior, you've got Aiden James, Ben Ellis, yeah. um, Rory Evan. These are these are all guys that are training at different gyms that are having a lot of success on on, on you know, it's it's not a massive jump, guys, between Cage Warriors and, and UFC. And I've seen that firsthand. I think um if you've done well in Cage Warriors, um you you'll more than hold your own when yeah. you make that step. But because I said to everybody, it's a fantastic apprenticeship, Cage Warriors. You know, you it's it's the UFC just on a smaller level, you know. Don't know the yeah. money. The money is is not UFC money, but the media obligations are the same. The um, the spotlight is on you, you know. Like Jack, you, look at Jack. You know, he was. A lot of people would go to Copenhagen on your UFC debut and get overwhelmed with ten thousand people there. Yeah. But he's been selling out the ice arena four and a half thousand people. I don't know if you guys ever visited down there, but did, did yeah. you ever? Visit one of those shows? No, but I saw the show with the four, four and a half thousand, and it was I, I, I absolutely not. bonkers. I mean, it's just... I went, oh, I went to a UFC Dublin. I always said to everybody, "That's the greatest atmosphere for a sporting event I've mm. ever been to." Yeah. This was on a par with it. Um, Amazing. When the Welsh guys were coming out, it, it was a lot. And when Jack came out for the the three times he fought there on different events, mm. sold out, not an empty seat in the house. It's unbelievable. But those those parts of his apprenticeship made sure he was ready for when he got in the UFC. Mm, so yeah. fighting in front of a big crowd, wait until 11, 15 PM to be fighting with all that expectation, all your friends, all your family, the entire nation, everybody on the, on, on the mic saying, Oh, this kid's going to be the, the, the next guy to break through. The it's a lot of pressure, but yeah. if you're going to fold in those situations, you're not ready for the UFC. Like a lot of people, um, People I don't even know, you know, would send me a message on Facebook or Twitter and criticize our decision to defend against Scott Malone and turn down a UFC contract. Mm, yeah. Um, not nasty, but people say, oh, what, what, you know, what if, what if Jack loses to Malone and you've got to win another fight? fight? If Jack loses to Malone, it's pointless to mm. score to the UFC because yeah. he's not ready. Yeah. So that, that's my mindset on everything. We'll pressure test ourselves. We'll put us in that pressure cooker um, because. It's pointless going to UFC, having three fights and then being kicked out because the chances you're getting back in a raid, you know, yeah. it's very difficult to, to, to get back on that ladder and get back into the setup and back into the fold. So I'd rather lose a couple, have to wait another year, wait another 18 months to make sure we're ready. And I think, we, I think again, if you look at blueprints, I think what we did with Jack, we turned them down three times. They came to mm-hmm. us, he was 3-0, and we were offered a contract, believe it mm-hmm. or not, a short notice fight on um, Dublin. Uh, sorry, the Belfast card in 2016, the same card that Marshman and Brett Johns made the UFC debut. Yeah. We turned it down. Um, after he beat uh, Vaughn Lee, mm-hmm. we were offered a contract there. He broke in his hand. So yeah. again, we turned it down. And then there was a conversation had after he won the world title. Mm-hmm. Um, and Graham rings me and says, oh, Shelby has 
been on the blow again. They're desperate for Jack to sign. And I said, we need the defence. Once we've done the defence, we, we'll, yeah. we'll talk contracts. Uh, yeah. And I just think that apprenticeship was invaluable. You know, you... Yeah. And I think the last two years, it's affected some of the pros because they've not had that big crowds and that big um, pressure cooker environment to be fighting. So hopefully over the next year or two, you start seeing a couple more Welsh lads breaking through yeah. and able to, to do well on that big stage. Do you know, it's, it's uh, first of all, I love, <clears throat> you know, that you said you want to like take your time. There's There's been a couple of people in the last couple of years who have openly been like saying, you know, we don't want to jump queues. We don't, you know, Tom Aspinall has been a big one. Um, you know, uh, Sean O'Malley has also been another person who's like vocally been very open about, you know, not wanting to rush his way through the UFC career and things like that. So, I really think that's a really great move on your guys' behalf. I respect the hell out of that. I think that's a great, great decision. Obviously, you know, that's, that's you know, Jack's apprenticeship, you know, what he came up through, what what led to his UFC career. You know, he's had a couple of fights in the UFC now. Um, what do you feel like is Jack's, like, biggest threat or maybe, like, person, whether it be person or, you know, uh, exterior remote, like, exterior thing? What do you think is the, the, the biggest uh hiccup road bump that you're going to come up with with Jack in, in, in his UFC career? Is there a person you're worried about or no, you know, I, anything like that? Listen, I, I think anyone in that top 15 can beat anyone on, on, on any given day. So it's a, yeah. um, as the saying says in that film, you know, the American football film, it's a game of inches. Yeah. So, you know, I remember what, what did GSP said? He said he zigged when he should have zagged and Matt Serra knocked him out, you know, and yeah. it, it's a real, it's a real different, you know, in a game of rugby, if I lose a game of rugby Saturday, I can put it right next Saturday. The unfortunate yeah. thing is, you pick up a loss in fight, and it can be up to six months before you can readdress that. So it's not an overnight fix. I just think it's at that level now where I think he's got all the potential and ability to be a world champion. I really believe that. But those sort of things can, it can be, you know, he can be doing it, you dominate the fight. You know, they say yeah. you, fight for, you win this fight, you win, you fight for the title. He's dominated for. The first two rounds, we're four minutes into the third. He's gone for a double leg. He's caught an E and he's knocked out. These yeah. things happen, unfortunately. So yeah. I'm under no illusions how difficult uh, yeah. it is. But I, I just, I don't think you'll beat the, you know, mentally nothing's going to break him. Um, yeah. I, I just don't see there being any sort of issue in his personal life because he's, mm. like I said, he's bulletproof with his mindset. Yeah. It's MMA. It's, it's obvious that sooner or later he will pick up a loss. That's the nature of the beast we're in. Yeah. Um, but I really, like people say, how is he going to manage when he loses? I said, he, he's, he's felt lost before. He's lost in amateur boxing. He's lost mm. in jiu-jitsu. Um, he's lost in interclubs as a kid, you know, with no headshot mm. MMA. So he understands what losing's about. Mm. Um, and I think he's such a, a strong-willed character is that, you know, he's had fights when he's won. And I've come from there and said, oh, like, the only fights, a fair example. Mm. He's thrown his gloves. He's kicking off. Oh, shit, that was terrible. I'm like, wait till you watch it back. For me, that was his, his one of his best performances in the um, yeah. his first fight of bantamweight as well. So it was the first time we'd done the weight cut of bantamweight. Mm. But it's so harsh on himself, you know. And if he makes a mistake in a fight, we're working on it for four or five weeks after the fight to make sure that doesn't happen again. So yeah. if he when you know when and as he does lose, he'll address those issues, and and you'll always you'll always see a better version of Jack Shaw in his next fight. That's 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 his mindset as a game is that his his ambition is to always be better in the next fight. And I think we've seen that fight on fight on fight as he's gone so far. But no, I don't see there being any obstacles apart from somebody being better on the day. And, and that's the nature of the game we're in. Do you know what? Uh, again, just uh, we started this podcast with you being super humble and just like unbelievably honest. I love Charismatic. I was going to say, I love the way that you speak about this sport and, and, and your, 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 you know, realness in, in, in the situation of, of what you guys are facing as a team. Um, and we come basically to, 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 the, to the end of our show today with you basically doing the same thing of just being real honest, real, real humble and, and just a, an amazing example of why Wales is the place to watch. And not only that, but also an amazing example of, you know, what anyone who is looking for, you know, a coach out there, what they should be striving for, what type of coach that, you know, they, they should be settling for, you know, if, if you're not receiving this level of respect, love, humbleness, family, you know, that kind of stuff, Technique, like, like you can do from Shore MMA, then, then you're missing a beat is, is, is what I would say. But 
Richard, thank you so much for coming on today. We have been so excited to talk to you for, for a while now. We, we love Jack. We love what you guys do at Shore MMA. It was such a pleasure to watch you guys do what you did on the night um, at Cage Warriors Wales and just, you know, see all of you in operation, see the team supporting each other, see yourself, you know, leading that team. It was just amazing. So thank you so, so much for taking the time today to, to come and talk to us. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, on a personal level, um, yeah, the opportunity to sort of step into to the family, as it were, and be part of uh, of that process was great. We we look forward to if there's an opportunity in the future to do that. It, it was a great experience for us. I know some of the fighters uh, enjoyed it as well. So uh, as that as that comes, that would be much much appreciated going forward. Yeah, of course, lads. I mean, the, the next one is March the twenty sixth, week after Jack's fight. You. You guys are welcome to come up again. No problem at all. Yeah, we'd love to. It's in the calendar, mate. Thank you. <laughs> shout out, shout out, uh, whatever you'd like to. Sure, MMA and anything else that uh, that you'd like uh, folks to um, be aware of. I, I give a shout out to some of the coaches because I think they go under the radar sometimes. Mm. Crew Heen, Carl Parker, uh, Daryl James, you know, Brett Johns and Jack as well do a lot of coaching yeah. uh, with, with the guys. So it's a real team effort. Um, massive thanks to a guy called Lee Bachelor. Mm. Um, he, he's you know integral to our success. He's been a great supporter financially of the club, not mm. just financially. I mean, he, he's one of our biggest sponsors, but he he's at the he's at the gym every day as well. You know, he's a he's a he's a great That's support fine. for me. He's always on hand to give me advice around business mm. and around dealing with things. So big big shout out to him. Um, okay. West Fish is another one that gives a lot to the club. We have got so many sponsors. You know, it's our um, and a big shout out to, we, we lost one of our guys this year, uh, Jack Evans, who's been with us since day one, passed away, but, you know, his, his son continues to support us with his business as well. So big shout out to Shane Jones and them guys at B&B Garage. Hey, condolences on, on that. And, uh, and otherwise, thank you so much for joining us today, Richard. It has been such a pleasure as always. Uh, we've been Homie and the Dude, the Father and Son MMA and TTRPG podcast. Um, guys, if you want to support us, you can do by just subscribing to the YouTube channel, following on Twitter, um, and sharing this out. Let, let other people watch this content because everyone deserves to hear this amazing story from Richard. Everyone deserves to, to, to get to know the, the, the short, the short story a little bit more. And it's, it's very great. So, uh, help us out with some of that guys otherwise thank you so much and uh, we'll see you in the next one thanks richard thanks richard hey guys thank you so much for watching homie and the dude today uh we hope you enjoyed this video if you did please hit us with the holy trinity go follow us on twitter subscribe to the youtube channel and like the facebook it's the best way that you can help us out at the moment hope you have an awesome day thanks for watching guys